Welcome to the BreastCancer.org podcast, the podcast that brings you the latest information on breast cancer research, treatments, side effects, and survivorship issues through expert interviews, as well as personal stories from people affected by breast cancer. Here's your host, BreastCancer.org Senior Editor, Jamie DiPolo. Hello, thanks for listening. Our guest is Shirley Mertz, President of the Metastatic Breast Cancer Network. During her professional career, Shirley was a political science teacher and high school principal. Before her retirement, Shirley was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer 12 years after being diagnosed with early stage disease. After receiving targeted treatment, Shirley experienced a durable remission. She decided in 2005 to use her skills and intellect to advocate for research to end deaths from metastatic breast cancer, to lobby for access to affordable quality health care, and to empower metastatic patients to make informed health care decisions to have the best outcomes. In 2009, to spread knowledge about metastatic disease, Shirley organized and led a group of patients to Congress, asking for a resolution to designate October 13th as National Metastatic Breast Cancer Awareness Day. The resolution passed unanimously. In 2013, Shirley was a founding member of the Metastatic Breast Cancer Alliance and currently serves as its chairperson. She is also president of the Metastatic Breast Cancer Network, a patient advocate member of the Translational Breast Cancer Consortium and the Aurora USA Clinical Study, and a member of the board of directors of the Global Advanced Breast Cancer Alliance based in Lisbon. Shirley is often invited to speak at conferences about the challenges and needs of patients. Among her numerous awards, Shirley was honored at the White House in 2011 as a champion of change in breast cancer by President Obama. Today, she joins us to talk about what it's like to live with metastatic breast cancer during the COVID-19 pandemic. Shirley, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for this opportunity. So if you're comfortable sharing, uh, just so people get a little bit more familiar with you, could you walk us through your personal breast cancer journey? Yes, I would uh, welcome doing that. Uh, First of all, I think it's important uh, to share that I had no history of breast cancer in my family, although I had many aunts um, and um, a mother uh, who had no history of breast cancer. Um, I followed in the early 90s the recommendations for mammography, and on, I think, my third mammography, uh, calcification showed up, so a biopsy was done, and um, I was told that I had early-stage breast cancer that was being driven by hormones. So uh, I was offered a lumpectomy uh, followed by radiation, uh, or I could have a um, mastectomy uh, of my left breast. I gave this a lot of thought and I decided that I wanted to be cured. So I uh, insisted that I have a double mastectomy because I thought that would um, allow me the opportunity to continue to raise my two sons and live a long life. So I was given that surgery and 12 years passed. I I was regularly checked uh, as the time went by. But in 2003, I reported uh, to my doctor that I was having some pains in the chest bone. And after some imaging was done, uh, there was nothing wrong with the chest bone, but uh, what was discovered were spots on my spine. A biopsy followed and the pathology report showed a cancer, uh, breast cancer, that was hormone negative. 
my oncologist at that time uh, chose not to believe that the disease had changed in its biological makeup and said he would start me on anti-hormone therapy and would scan me a year later. Uh, I was a dutiful patient. I went along with this. But six months in, my primary care doctor urged me to have a scan to see how the treatment was going. And when finally my oncologist agreed to that, uh, the scan showed uh, that my skeleton had lit up like a Christmas tree. There were spots of metastatic disease throughout the skeleton, and there were even um, three spots in my liver. Uh, that <laughs> certainly knocked me back uh, on my heels. Yeah. Oh, it was terrible. <laughs> and he said, the oncology said, well, let's come in Monday and we'll start you on chemotherapy. Um, I frankly, uh, Jamie, lost confidence uh, in uh, that oncologist. Uh, it was difficult because I was raised to obey and believe what the doctor says, because that's mm -hmm. how you get well. Right. And so um, I decided to go to a uh, teaching uh, institution, teaching and re research institution in the Chicago area uh, where I live. And another biopsy was done. And it confirmed that, in fact, my molecular makeup of my uh, disease had changed to hormone negative, And it also showed uh, it to be HER2 positive. So with that new biopsy, I was given a targeted therapy and oral chemotherapy. And after 10 months on this regimen, uh, scans showed that I had gone into complete remission. Oh, and, that's wonderful. Know, I, oh, I was ecstatic. And yeah. in fact, it was on um, April 1st that I got this <laughs> diagnosis. So you asked for feedback. confirmation, right? Because yeah. But um, I was told, though, very frankly, that this did not mean I was cured and that um, I would continue with the targeted agent, but I would be taken off the chemotherapy. So um, my remission, uh, durable remission, lasted for nine years. And then in, um, let's see, what was it, Two, 2014, um, I did have a spot of metastasis on my hip bone. And uh, a couple months later, uh, one lymph node uh, had showed up on a scan. And in both cases, I tried something rather new, and that was called uh, stereotactic radiation therapy, and uh, which is kind of like a surgical uh, a removal of these two sites of metastasis, but not through a knife, but through, you know, very high dose radiation. Mm -hmm. And so this, since that time, I have been very blessed to continue uh, on my uh, targeted treatment. Uh, my scans have been very good. And I guess the last good news to share is that um, in July of um, this coming July, I will have uh, lived 17 years with metastatic disease. So um, I'm really very blessed. Well, um, I am giving you a virtual <laughs> high five and round of applause oh, because sure. that mm -hmm. is wonderful news. I'm very, very happy for you. Well, thank you. And I just want to say that um, when I got this good news, I said to myself, there has to be a reason uh, why this happened to me. Um, I believe that I was really being told to do something good for other people. And because of my teaching background and my love of uh, helping others to learn new things and put them to uh, in effect in their life, um, I decided to become an advocate. 
uh, on behalf of metastatic patients. And there were really four things that I tried to share with people that I'd like to just pass on uh, for listeners uh, today. And that is the importance of paying attention to a biopsy and the pathology report because uh, the molecular uh, makeup or profile of metastatic breast cancer can change, and, and that is very important. And I must say that uh, breastcancer.org does a wonderful job of explaining the pathology report and uh, different subtypes. So I would urge um, listeners to check your website out. The oh, other well, thing you. that my, uh, my uh, experience told me was I share with uh, other patients the importance of getting a second opinion. It mm -hmm. doesn't hurt. It may be concurrent with what you're being told now, but if it isn't, then that should give you pause to think about what you know, you're doing. And then two other quick points. A bilateral mastectomy, if you've uh, been diagnosed with breast cancer, does not guarantee you a cure. And I thought that. But what is important is what type of breast cancer you have, because some, um, you know, may sleep for a while, as I call it, uh, uh, and then they wake up and they can, you know, be of concern or deadly. And then finally, I think the last thing I try to share with people is the importance of staying informed about your disease, uh, new developments, new treatments. And again, I'm not paid to say this, but breastcancer.org, I'm a fan <laughs> of your website, does a wonderful job explaining new treatments that come out and uh, how to talk to their doctor. So, um, so that's really my advocacy story, as well as my history of my journey, as you called it, yeah. with breast cancer. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I, I will add to your emphasis on getting a second opinion, because obviously, in your case, it was so important. I sort of shudder to think, what would have happened if you hadn't gone and had that scan at six months, if you had just waited for the, the year to be up on a treatment that clearly wasn't giving you any benefits? Um, right. That would have been a little scary. Right. And, you know, a tag to that, uh, Jamie, is that I believe that metastatic patients should not just rely on their oncologist for their medical health care or their health care. Uh, in my case, it was my primary care doctor who, you know, saw me and asked how I was doing. I shared what I was going through. And then, you know, he said, what? He's going to wait a year to see mm -hmm. if your treatment is working. And had he not intervened, I probably would have continued to be a dutiful patient and waited for that year exam or, or scan. And so mm -hmm. um, I think uh, primary care doctors, internists, uh, should be part of the healthcare team for metastatic patients. Yeah, that's very important. Um, but I do, since we're kind of living in this time of, of COVID-19, I've heard you speak and say that the stressors that people are under because of COVID-19 is really similar to the stresses that people diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer or really any metastatic cancer are under every day. So could you explain that a little bit further and tell us what you meant by that? Yes. Um, you know, when things started to happen in February, and then particularly in March in the United States, and we heard through the media that people were being diagnosed with this strange new uh, disease, COVID-19, um, 
I think one of the similarities I saw there was that people receiving such a diagnosis didn't understand why did they get this? And then what is it? You know, what does it mean to them to have it? And I think that's a similar, uh, certainly a parallel to people who receive a metastatic breast cancer uh, diagnosis, whether it's de novo, meaning um, a woman or man receives that as their first diagnosis uh, right out the box, so to speak, or whether they get a diagnosis like that, as I did um, years after having an early stage. So that, that's one comparison. And then as we went along and people, you know, were expecting, well, what's the healthcare community going to do about this? And they heard uh, through the media again that, you know, people needed to have two things. They, they needed either treatments, certainly, to help the people who were diagnosed with um, COVID-19 or uh, vaccines and vaccines to prevent other people from getting the disease. And when I heard, you know, that, that desire for new treatments or uh, a treatment for COVID-19, I thought to myself, that is such a wish, an ongoing desire of metastatic breast cancer patients who may be going through a treatment that's working, but they know that because of the nature of the disease, uh, metastatic breast cancer is going to find a way to develop a resistance to that treatment. And so they hope for the next treatment to be there. And uh, what we've all discovered, whether we uh, are worrying about COVID or worrying about metastatic breast cancer, is that treatments are not easily discovered, or nor are they quickly discovered. When we listen to our president have a press conference or Dr. Fauci uh, you know, describe the process, it's a, it's a long process of finding an agent that might show promise and then putting it through the clinical trial, um, clinical trial studies that involve humans. And it's not like something that we, uh, people who have metastatic breast cancer learn. It's not like something that can be done in two months or six months. Uh, it takes usually 18 months, or in many cases, um, the treatments that I've had uh, took years uh, mm -hmm. to develop. And so I think that's a stress. People want an answer. They want a new treatment. And it's just ongoing. And then we have to uh, also hope there will be support uh, for this research. And I think there definitely is support for research for COVID-19. Uh, uh, for metastatic breast cancer, uh, we have uh, the community uh, and those who have joined me as advocates have had to really work hard to explain to our policymakers that more money needs to go to find um, new treatments and ultimately, hopefully, a cure for metastatic breast cancer. And sometimes we run up against uh, uh, a view from uh, policymakers, well, I thought breast cancer was taken care of. And, you know, and that mm -hmm. kind of goes back, Jamie, to right. the, you know, in, in October where rightfully so, we celebrate those who have gone through a treatment and have been uh, declared done with their treatment, their survivors, and let's applaud them because that's an arduous process. But um, there is a portion of uh, nearly 154,000 of us in the United States 
who can't just be done with treatments. Our treatments are on, ongoing and we need research money. So, um, and I guess the last point I would make is that uh, with an incurable, we're dealing really with two incurable diseases right now. And we all have to struggle. Well, if I got that incurable disease, how would I handle it? You know, how long will I live? I mean, you, we see stories um, every day on the news of a mother, say, who just finally after, what, seven weeks or 10 weeks of being in the hospital, finally is allowed to go home and see her children. I mean, what a oh heart-wrenching story. And for those of us who have metastatic breast cancer, you know, uh, when I was diagnosed, my boys were, I think they were, what, seven and 12. And I thought, will I ever see them graduate? Will I ever attend them, their marriage? Um, it, it's just, it's a, it's, it's a common, it's a feeling that you can't really, you can tell people when you address them as a metastatic patient to the public, which I've done. But I think now people who understand what we're going through with COVID will better understand people who are facing an incurable disease. So those are some of the stresses and the commonalities uh, that I see. And uh, hopefully things will be better for COVID with time. Uh, we will help people live longer. Um, the current median uh, number of years for living with metastatic breast cancer is uh, two to three. Uh, when I was diagnosed in 2003, the, um, the median was one to two. Mm. And so it depends on your subtype. Right. It depends on how you respond to your treatments and um, lots of complex uh, and your co comorbidities of how well you do. Right, right, right. Thank you for that, Shirley. When COVID-19, when the pandemic caused various levels of quarantine around the country, because all the states seem to have different uh, rules and regulations, I know that many breast cancer surgeries, um, some other treatments, a lot of scans were postponed because they did not want people having to be a potentially be exposed to COVID-19 at various treatment centers. So now, depending on where somebody lives, things are starting to open up. I know at least in Austin, Texas, because I talked to two surgeons there, they're starting to do surgeries again. So can you share what you're hearing in the metastatic community about treatments or scans resuming? How, what, are, what are people experiencing from your viewpoint? Well, first of all, I think many of us were rather shocked, as I was, uh, in that they would receive a call uh, either from their research nurse or their oncologist in, uh, in person to say, you know what, I'm going to cancel your, appoint your upcoming appointment with me because of the virus. Uh, I don't think you should come to the hospital or to, you know, where I'm located because you'll be waiting in a room with other people. Um, so let's just put that off uh, for a while. And then um, some of us, and I was one, who was told, well, you know what, rather than continue your, your infusions, I get an infusion every three weeks, uh, I was told, let's put your infusion on hold for a while. And, you know, it was like, am I really hearing this? Right, <laughs> you know, right. It was, it was like, what? I mean, uh, and... I remember I didn't have anything to say. I mean, on the phone, and 
I, you know, I'm not short of words. But when it came to that, I thought, okay, this is my doctor. She's telling me I need to do this. So I'm going to listen. But then, you know, there's lots of worry. So now um, things, and, and then we found out that in the case of early stage people, uh, people who might have had a biopsy of a lump in a breast, normally that, uh, that might be removed. And then uh, let's say if they were a hormone positive um, pathology, they would be given an anti-hormone agent. Uh, we were hearing from some of our uh, people in the community that uh, the surgery was put off. They were given you know, an anti-hormone agent, but told that once things open up, we'll then take out your lump. And that's very nerve wracking. And even screening mammograms were being put on hold. And then, um, so anyway, this was, this was all the stress. And then the good news is that there have been some changes. Um, first of all, like in the case of appointments, many of my friends who have metastatic breast cancer have had, and I have too, had a telemedicine appointment where the doctor uh, calls you at a given time and discusses how you're doing, you know, you can report whatever is going on, and, and that becomes your way of communicating. And, you know, I've listened to a couple calls of uh, oncologists who have used this, and they, and they feel there's a lot of merit to this. And I think from, from the patient point of view, if you travel far, it takes me about an hour to get to my oncologist. Um, so I'm saved that travel time, and that's good. And so I think in some cases, or many cases, the telemedicine appointments will continue. My heart goes out, though, for the newly diagnosed patient who may, um, you know, hasn't yet established a relationship with their oncologist. You know, hopefully each of you grows to understand each other and what your values, uh, the doctor understands what's important to you. And, um, and that's, that's really, you know, crucial when you pick out treatments and, and the toxicities. My heart goes out to newly diagnosed because sometimes you need that little, you know, if you're hearing bad news for the first time, you need that little pat on the knee, pat on the shoulder, or, you know, looking into their eyes. That's, I think that kind of is, is uh, missing. So then to lead to your question about opening up, uh, I live in the Chicago area, as I mentioned, and we're still having cases, you know, uh, of being diagnosed, and we're not at whatever that crucial point is to open up. But even in places where there are uh, metastatic breast cancer patients um, that I've talked to are still concerned about going out and um, experiencing, um, you know, uh, doing things that they did before because they're, they're very concerned about also getting, you know, impacted by someone who might not have any um, symptoms. I, oh, I think they call that asymptomatic, but they mm -hmm. could get, you know, the COVID virus. And um, people who are metastatic right now are giving more thought to how they want to die when I get to the point that my disease uh, no longer responds to treatment. And I'm told, you know, uh, that's all we can do. And I have to face my death. I always imagine that my death uh, would come when I have a loved one by my side, my husband or my sons. You know, I could hold their hand. That's how I envisioned it. And um, 
I'm sorry to get emotional, oh, but it breaks okay. my heart yeah. when I hear on you know the television that you know people who once they're in a hospital with COVID disease they can't have anyone visit them, and I can't imagine a more terrible way uh, to pass away, to die without being close to those uh, that that love you. So I think. Uh, I guess I only bring that up to say that I'm still not, uh, even if they opened up uh, the shopping center ne- near me or, or you know, uh, a restaurant that my husband and I enjoy, I think I would be hesitant to go because I don't want to get COVID. Um, and I, I think what I would be waiting for, and most likely other metastatic patients would agree, though I, you know, I don't pretend to talk to everybody, or can I talk to everyone? Um, but I think we're waiting for uh, a, a treatment that really works, and most of all, a vaccination, so that we uh, a vaccine, so that we can be protected against um, the the uh, COVID virus. Yeah, I I completely understand what you're saying, and that. It does have to be very scary, especially if someone with metastatic disease perhaps is being treated with something that compromises their immune system, which would put them at higher risk of the virus. If I can be a little intrusive, have your infusions resumed yet, or are you still waiting? No, No, they have not. In fact, not only uh, I'm hopeful that by the end of May, they will. And the other thing, uh, if to be honest, is I have not had a PET scan in over seven months. Oh, and that's yeah. a long time, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, that's an enor- enormous amount of time. I mean, normally I'm anywhere from three to four months, and um, so you know that it's it's been an anxious situation. I bet, and and it's it's really to me anyway. You have to weigh so many things because of course you want the scan and of course you want the treatment, but of course you also don't want to become infected with COVID. So it's this, it's this weighing all these various things where you, you don't have enough information to really make a completely informed decision, which must make it so frustrating and anxiety inducing, I guess. Yeah. And I heard a discussion um, that was led by Dr. Eric Weiner, who I've great respect mm-hmm. for. He's a yes. champion of metastatic breast cancer patients, in my view. He said the sad thing is that uh, patients are associating hospitals with disease. We may not like the hospital, but we usually think of the hospital as a place either to get our infusions, our scans, or if we had to go in for some type of procedure, you know, all of this leads to um, hopefully a, a better outcome for us. Right. A place of hope. So, yeah. yeah, a place of hope. And so um, it's very difficult. You know, we have to change our mindset. And yet that's going to be a slow process. Yeah. Now, not to sort of stay on a somewhat depressing note, but I have friends who have metastatic disease and have passed away. And I know they talked about living for specific events like a wedding, a graduation, the birth of a grandchild. Um but now those events aren't happening because people can't gather. I guess some they're still happening in some cases, but not quite happening in the same way. And right. so from your perspective, how are people with metastatic disease coping with that? Are they, are they finding 
ways to connect and, and live for these hopeful things? I think they always have tried to find ways, uh, even before, um, you know, the, the virus occurred, which makes us all so much more complex. You know, it, it's two ways. I, you know, I wanted so badly to see my sons graduate from high school, and I thought that would be an amazing accomplishment uh, if I could, because I, I think I mentioned they were seven and 12 when I got my metastatic diagnosis. So I was okay, I'm hopeful, hopeful, my treatments will work. But then I said to myself, but what if I, if they don't? And one thing that I thought I, I would do is to write them uh, something about how proud uh, I would be um, that they graduated from school and what it meant, uh, what I hope it meant to them and, and you know, what it meant to me. Um, and to put that away and, and then, you know, if I wasn't here, uh, someone uh, would give that to them. I think in many ways, um, patients look to either writing uh, a letter or making a recording of a message. Th those are two things that in some ways are very, you know, long lasting. They, uh, they probably, to me, come as close as you can to being there, you know, in the chair. Mm -hmm. Uh, but then when I see uh, how people, I saw a lady uh, who was in a nursing home. She didn't have the disease, uh, metastatic disease, but her granddaughter was getting married. And through the window, I, maybe you saw this on television, but through the window of the, of the nursing home where she was, uh, her granddaughter came in her wedding dress with mm -hmm. her you know, new husband and they touched the glass together. So, I mean, people do find ways, but... Um, all we can do when we have an incurable disease, I believe, um, though it's not always easy to do, is to live in the moment, to make every day the best that we can. There are times when I resort uh, to awfulizing, as I call it. What is okay. that? <laughs> well, awfulizing, like right now, I haven't had a scan in seven months. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, sometimes I think, oh my, this could be really bad because it's been so long, you know, what if something is growing? And, and, you know, when you have metastatic disease, things do not always um, impact you physically. You mm -hmm. could have something growing in your liver and you don't even know it or in your, you know, depends where right. it is. Um, right. But so, and then if I let myself go down that road of thinking awful about mm. whatever could take place, I need to, I have to punch myself out of that oh, and yeah. say, you can't, you can't do this because it, you don't, you know, you just, it doesn't get you anywhere. And it robs you of the time that you have each day to do something positive or to do something that you enjoy, talk to someone that you value, or I enjoy getting, I, I get great satisfaction out of my ad, advocacy work. And I think that's part of my background as a teacher. Um, I really enjoy uh, my, my motto with a lot of, with my students was that knowledge is power. And I still use that with um, the women I meet, that their knowledge is power and you need to know about your, you know, um, your subtype. You need to know about what new treatments are, are coming and, um, and keep people, keep your doctor informed of how you're doing. Uh, I don't know how soon this will all change, but 
um, I think we just have to be creative and try to leave a lasting legacy of some kind, a, a memory. Uh, handwritten better than typed is my motto because <laughs> I think really when you you know when you get a handwritten note that that per, part of the person is right there that you know that cursive or printing yeah. as opposed to something that's just typed uh, I just think there's a big difference oh I agree I agree um, Shirley finally to wrap up you know we we did talk yeah. about the the country opening up a little bit but do you have any, I guess, advice as things become more available for people with metastatic disease, perhaps if they're fearful or really anxious, even say in your case, like say your doctor called and said, you know, we're going to restart up your scans. We're going to restart up your infusions, but there's still no vaccine and there's still no real treatment for COVID. So do you have any advice for people on how maybe to, you know, think positively about that and, and maybe lessen that anxiety? Thinking positive is good for the, the mind, but I'm also a believer in the action. And I think still uh, wear a mask. I believe that is very important. Wash your hands regularly. Um, when I go grocery shopping, I do that once a week. I wear plastic gloves as well as my mask. And while I like to interact with people, I, I feel like I'm a friendly person. I try uh, not to do a whole lot of that. <laughs> and if I'm going to talk to someone, I do maintain the distance. Now, this is a kind of a mundane thing to talk about, but uh, my hair is getting long <laughs> and it needs cut. And then if I really want to expose myself, my hair needs another color job. Okay. <laughs> my roots are showing, but anyway, so, you know, uh, my, uh, my beautician did call me and said, I, we think that we're going to open up in June. Would you like an appointment? So, okay. I set a tentative appointment, but I did ask my beautician, what steps are you taking you know, to protect yourself and to protect me. So I think the question, what I'm saying there is that if you decide to go somewhere, um, use your head and think about what can you do to protect yourself? And then what is the, say, the restaurant doing uh, to protect its, you know, uh, visitors or its clients? Um, and then if it, if it doesn't sound really good, uh, then put it off for a little longer. Uh, I'm, I'm really, I'm confident that with time, it may take another ugh, six, nine months, but we, we will get through this. Um, I, I've read stories about the 1918 pandemic then with the flu. Uh, my mother was born in 1918 and, you know, her family got through that. So I, I think we're hardy people and we just have to use our heads and support science and oh, and then the other thing I certainly uh, one thing I could have talked about is the importance of 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 uh, following treatments that are really scientifically based, like not believing that you can put bleach on your skin. Oh my gosh! And that's yes. going to you know that's going to take away any COVID nineteen that you have in your body. I mean, and 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 in metastatic disease, there have been women. Who've said, well, I've read that if I consume lots of supplements, you know, whatever that supplement might be, mm -hmm. and I mean that's alternative medicine. Um, I believe 
in following standard medicine and maybe some use of complementary things, you know, yoga, meditation, um, you know, those kinds of things, uh, prayer, those kinds of things can be very supportive exercise uh, to a metastatic patient. So I think I've kind of gone around the block here, but <laughs> a lot of things started flooding my mind. So sure, sure. Uh, I hope they're helpful too. Yeah, no, surely. Thank you so much. I think that will be because if from the people I've talked to, and granted it hasn't been hundreds, but just a few that they're really kind of struggling with balancing, okay, I need this treatment, but I'm also a little afraid to go out because I don't know what other people are doing. I know what I'm doing, but, Mm -hmm. and I know that say my treatment center is doing things, but I don't know about the other people in there. And that's, what's concerning me. So that's, I mean, that's always hard because you can't control what other people do. So there's nothing wrong with asking your oncologist or uh, if you, when you do schedule that scan, um, to say to the, the department where you register, uh, make that appointment, what are you folks doing to protect me when I come for this PET scan or this MRI or whatever it might be? And, and I think uh, reputable places, uh, cancer centers will share, you know, we're cleaning equipment, we will have you in a room where there won't be other people, whatever that might be, um, I think it's fair to ask so that you can have kind of calm yourself because um, living with the anxiety day by day is not good for anyone and certainly not for people who are dealing with a very a complex disease. Absolutely. Shirley, thank you so much for sharing thank everything. You. It's been so, so enlightening and so informative. I really appreciate your time. Well, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the uh, opportunity to speak with you and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you for listening to the breastcancer.org podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. To share your thoughts about this or any episode, email us at podcast at breastcancer.org or leave feedback on the podcast episode landing page on our website. And remember, you can find a lot more information about breast cancer at breastcancer.org. And you can connect with thousands of people affected by breast cancer by joining our online community.